there once was a father who lived in a triple-decker with his two adult children. And each of them lived on the floors beneath him. And this father, he also happened to be a phenomenal baker. He had been to the finest culinary schools in France. He'd even been on some of those reality TV shows, and, and he had won them both times. Uh, this guy was, was especially good at baking cakes. And every single week, he would bake a cake for his children. He'd go to the store, he would pick out the freshest ingredients, he'd mix the batter together, he'd bake this cake to perfection, and then he would ice it and inscribe it with a message, a special message to each of his children to tell them exactly how much he loved them. And then, every week, these children would refuse to eat the cake. He'd put it gently at their doorstep and leave it there for them, and they would just ignore it. In fact, sometimes they would forget it was there completely, and they would step out the door and just step right in it. And they would get angry, and they would complain about what an inconvenience it was that their dad would always put these dumb cakes at their doorstep. Other times, the father would ask them kindly, say, would you please just try it? I know I made it. It's your favorite kind. I even put a special message on there to show you how much I love you. This is a gift that I've given you so you can experience some joy. And when they did that, they just get irritated. Why is he being so pushy? What a burden. And so the cakes went untouched. They piled up uneaten all around their home. Behold, this is the parable of the Sabbath. This morning, I want to continue talking to you about God's desire to connect with you. God's desire to connect with you in a real, intimate, personal, and powerful way. And particularly this morning, I want to talk about Sabbath. I want to talk about the practice of taking 24 hours every week and ceasing from your normal work. I called this sermon, I never think about what I call my sermons beyond when I type it usually, but I called this sermon today, uh, Rest is a Luxury That I Can't Afford. Because Sabbath is one of those subjects, it's one of those subjects that for me is often difficult to preach on. It's hard to talk about it because, well, we're all really busy. We've got a lot of stuff going on and we all have different schedules, we have different pressures, we have different lives. And so this tends to be one of those subjects that when you hear a preacher talking about it, it just kind of makes you feel bad. We like the idea, right? We love the idea of stopping. We love the idea of taking some time off, but we just don't know how to make that a reality in our lives. So what I want us to do, I want us to read this passage today, and then uh, there's a few things I want to talk about. All right, our passage this morning comes from Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, 
Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And also he gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The three things I want to tell you this morning is that the Sabbath is for you. And that the Sabbath is a powerful event. And finally, that Sabbath takes time. So the Sabbath is for you. The Sabbath, you hear about it in the fourth commandment. Uh, let's do a quick review of that commandment. It's Exodus chapter 20, and it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the surgeoner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and the seventh day he rested. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now my aim in the next 30 minutes or so is to try and convince you that not only should you obey this commandment, but that if you do, your life is going to fill with the blessing of knowing God more deeply. Now, before we talk about that blessing part of it, I think it's good to address some of our misconceptions about the Sabbath. Over the years, uh, Christians and non-Christians, honestly, have confused this idea. Uh, and the first way is a way that we see in our Mark text. It is Sabbath legalism. It's what we observe some of those Pharisees doing, right? In our story that we just read, Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field. And they're casually picking these pieces of grains, just basically having a snack because they were hungry. And the religious experts are there, the people like me. The, the Presbyterian pastors are there, and they're standing watching his Sabbath observance, and they're saying, hey, wait a second, Don't do, you can't do that. That's, that's breaking the rules. You're messing this up. And Jesus tells him to chill out. I mean, he, he, he handles it more graciously, right? He, he actually does something very smart. He, he goes back to a very famous Old Testament passage, one they would have been familiar with, and he tells them the story of how King David and his men ate this special holy bread that they weren't allowed to eat under any circumstances, and, and it was fine. He was trying to get across the point that uh, the Sabbath law is not about just some strict regulation, but it's a principle of rest. Jesus was trying to tell these guys that God is not quite so rigid as you're being right now. That for these Pharisees, for these religious people, by functioning as the Sabbath police, trying to discover where anybody might potentially be breaking the law, they had done a terrible thing. They had turned this beautiful thing that was supposed to be a gift to the people of God, they turned it into a burden. 
they'd forgotten that God's intention for the Sabbath was a time of rest, worship, and delight. And the Pharisees, let's be honest, they weren't the last people to do this. For hundreds of years, for thousands of years, in fact, many Christians have followed in their footsteps, expounding at length on the things that you should and shouldn't be able to do on the Sabbath, making a long to-do list instead of remembering or teaching their people how they might actually encounter God in worship, rest, and delight. So that's one, one case, the Sabbath legalism. On the other hand, there is the opposite response. It's what you might call Sabbath licentiousness, Sabbath lawlessness. Basically, it's hearing this commandment and disregarding it entirely. And that's the more common one for us, right? Somehow, we have managed to take the fourth commandment and we have turned this into the domain of super-Christians only. Of course, we, we would never do that with the sixth commandment, right? Only super-Christians don't murder people. But we've managed to do that with the fourth commandment. We've put it in its own special category. This is for fanatics. Nobody takes that one seriously. I mean, come on. It's a modern world. It's not like it was back then. We all have different schedules. We are constantly connected. We've got email and internet and smartphones. Work can't just stop. And hey, come on. Doesn't the creator of the universe have bigger things to do? Doesn't he have better things to worry about than how I'm spending my weekend? It's funny when you think about it. When you look at these two errors of, of legalism and licentiousness, both of these groups are really viewing the Sabbath the same way. It's a burdensome to-do list. One group just chooses to do it, and the other chooses to ignore it. But that's why I love this passage in Mark. As I've started to teach my own family about Sabbath, as I've started to practice this with my children, this is kind of our go-to verse. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Do you understand what that means? The Sabbath was made for man? It means that this beautiful thing is a gift. It is a gift for you from your Heavenly Father. It is a vehicle for you to experience His love, to rest. To relax in him. So it's kind of incredible that we have managed to make this beautifully iced cake into a burden. Something that we feel anxious about. Something that burdens us, that bothers us, that we grumble about. Pete Scazzaro, who's a New York pastor, he has this book called Emotionally Healthy Leader. And there's a chapter in there on Sabbath where I'm getting a lot of this information. I'd love for you to read it. Uh, it's, it's really been helpful to me. Um, but in his chapter, he compares uh, a good way of thinking about the Sabbath to a snow day. Now, I know uh, it's September right now. Unfortunately, snow days aren't too far off. Uh, in Boston, though, we tend to handle snow days a little differently, right? We kind of just push through most snow days. But even in Boston, 
There is a genuine snow day every once in a while, a day where the, the amount of snow is just so enormous that everyone gives up. You know what I'm talking about, where they, they can't even get the plows out in time and word goes out, just forget about life for today. Stay home, don't go to the grocery store, don't try to get anything done, don't try to even call in, we're just giving up. We're staying inside. And those days are great. Those days are such a gift. And, and in the Sabbath, God is actually saying to us, in essence, I'm going to give you 52 snow days every year. I'm going to give you nearly two months off with no pressure. And honestly, it's better than a snow day. Because this is a day that is set aside for rest, delight, and worship in God. All you're supposed to do on the Sabbath is relax. You're supposed to enjoy it. You're not supposed to do any work, not, not just your normal jobs, but on the Sabbath, you're not supposed to do that work you don't get paid for either. The Sabbath isn't the day to finish all the laundry. The Sabbath isn't the day to clean the house and do all those chores that you've been putting off because you're so busy. The Sabbath is an invitation to let the soil of your heart be replenished for a day. To let it lie untouched so that you can be fruitful in the week that's coming. And we say, ugh, what a burden. How dare you give me this commandment? I, I, I can't handle it. I'm just going to put it off until I have time to think about it. But you need to know, the Sabbath, it's a gift. It's for you. And I, I want you to try it. I literally do, right this week. I want you to just start thinking about it right now. I want you to take a bite. To enjoy this gift that your Heavenly Father has prepared for you. I promise you'll like it. Sabbath, it's for you. And Sabbath is a powerful event. That's the second point I want to make about this. It's, there is, this is more than simply taking a day off. Practicing Sabbath is a powerful event because it declares a message to our souls. Do you remember the context of the Ten Commandments? Do you remember what was going on when they, the people first received those commandments? It's in the book of Exodus. It is right after Moses has led the people out of Egypt, out of hundreds of years of slavery. They finally made it into the wilderness, and in this moment, God gives them the declaration. This is, that's the preamble. Remember, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and then he goes into it. Have no other gods before me. And this fourth commandment, is key. Because God is speaking this commandment to a Hebrew people who have been living under the tyranny and the cruelty of slavery. Their entire existence is based on what they do. They have been told every moment of their life that their work is the same as their worth. 
that their value on earth is the same as what they can produce, that they're only as good as what they did the day before. But here, God says to them, I love you not because of what you do, but because of who you are. He says, I am your God, and you are my people. I want you to rest. And not just today in the wilderness, but I want you to rest every single week and remember that. I want you to take a full day off and delight in that truth that you are mine, that your value is not in what you do, but in who you are before me. Is there any message that we need to hear more than that today? In our extremely busy culture, in this high-pressure city that we live in, is there any culture that defines ourselves by work more than our culture? What is the first thing you ask somebody after you learn their name? What do you do, right? We have a sick attachment to our occupations. And the Sabbath has the power to reorient our relationships with work. And I'm not just talking about the nine-to-five people in this room. I'm talking about people who are are stay-at-home moms. Whether you are retired or, or even if you are unemployed, the Sabbath always has the same power to break our bondage to doing and teach us God's value of being. Being with Him. The Sabbath declares this radical message to your soul. You're not what you do. Secondly, the Sabbath is a powerful event because it puts delight in our schedule. Another thing that Pete Scazzaro says in his book is he he recalls this story of a woman who was visiting the Holy Land. And she was out at a restaurant and she overheard these people, young children, just running through the streets, celebrating, shouting, singing. They were having a huge party. And she she was confused. What's going on? And the waiter said, oh, it's almost the Sabbath. These children are celebrating because it's about to start. And when I read that story, it was jarring to me. It was shocking to me, the idea. I mean, I'm a pastor, right? So my relationship to talking about the Sabbath is is usually fraught with some guilty feelings. I feel like telling other people they should should honor the Sabbath, it's, well, they think, well, maybe it's self-serving. You just want more people to come to church. You know, it's, it's burdensome, it's, it's, it's guilt-inducing. But when I saw this picture of a community based in a Sabbath rhythm, of course, it's joyful. It's a party, it's a celebration. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around that idea, but of course, that's what would happen. If we had a communal value on Sabbath delight, What kind of celebration would come if we all lived our lives with that kind of rhythm? Another cool thing about that story is it's a reminder that the Sabbath is not some private event. 
taking, it's not the day where you take 24 hours to go sit on a mountaintop and read your Bible all day. It's meant to be experienced in community. Traditional Jewish Sabbaths are started with a big feast. It's a time where we enjoy the gifts that God has given us, where we enjoy our families, where we enjoy our covenant friendships, our church community. It's about delighting in the Lord together. When you start to get a Sabbath rhythm in your life, it becomes fun. Really. You start to look forward to it. You know that this day of rest is coming. As we've started to observe the practice in my home, it's been really exciting and surprising to me how my kids get excited about it. They're happy to have this time where they're going to get their parents around and their attention, where we're going to watch movies together, we're going to go walk in the park, we're going to talk about the Lord. Sabbath's a powerful event because it puts delight in our schedules. Think about that. Would you say that you have a time for delight in your life right now? Thirdly, Sabbath is a powerful event because it is a place of revelation. Last week we talked about this some. Remember we talked about abiding in Jesus, about slowing down our lives to build places for silence in our day so we could connect and become aware that God is in our busy schedules. Well, Sabbath is an extension of that. It's that same idea, 1 Kings 16, when Elijah goes up to the mountaintop trying to encounter God, but God, he isn't in the chaos. He's not in the fire. He's not in the earthquake. He's not in the storm. But when God shows up, he's in the thin silence. In the chaos of your life, in the busyness of your 9 to 5, your 8 to 7, you're your raising your kids and getting them uh, through the routine of school, the, all the things that you have going on in your life, in your chaos, it's hard to hear from the Lord. But there are things He wants to communicate to you. Things that you cannot possibly hear in the busy pace of your life. I mean, one simple revelation you will probably receive that first time you keep Sabbath is that God really is in control of the world. That if you stop, the world's going to be fine without you. That you are not nearly as important as you think you are. Things aren't going to fall apart. That was probably the most transformative message for me on my sabbatical. I took three months, but the word is the same, right? Sabbath, sabbatical. Sabbatical is basically a long, extended Sabbath, and that was a huge message for me to receive from the Lord. Leaving the church to the Lord, leaving the church to you all, especially, let's be honest, when it was not in, like, the most stable place. It took a lot of faith to do that. But it was wonderful to remember that God really is in control, that He doesn't need me as much as I think he does. And he doesn't need you that much either. And once I stopped to believe that, I was also able to hear another message. That God loves me. That he values me. That he delights in me. And he loves you too.
And I long for you to hear those same things from him. He has given us this amazing gift of Sabbath to reveal his love. Sabbath is a powerful event. The other thing I want you to know is that Sabbath really does take time. There's no other way to put it. Sabbath, it does take time. And I've been preaching long enough now that I realize most of you are still on the fence about this. Most of you are still stuck back in the title. Rest is a luxury I can't afford. You say, Pastor, sure, that sounds great for you. But you're a pastor. You can do stuff like that. There's no way a normal person is going to be able to put this into practice. But that's not true. It's just not true. Here's what I can say with confidence. Rest is a part of your spiritual DNA. It is a God-designed rhythm that you cannot afford to ignore. I wasn't reading for the, from the Ten Recommendations, right? This is actually a commandment that God gave us. That means that when you are failing to practice these things, you are doing damage to yourself. When you ignore Sabbath, you're actually doing damage to yourself. There is a great cost to our Sabbath breaking, not to mention that this is a sin that sent Jesus to the cross. Look, the reality is most of us, we are spread way too thin. We're just getting through the days. We are stressed out. We are burdened. We're sleepwalking through our spiritual lives if we have a spiritual life at all. We're sick. But the Sabbath is a part of the cure. But it's going to take time. I'm not going to lie to you. It will take time. You're going to have to figure out how to do this. It'll take some troubleshooting. The, the way each one of us is able to practice Sabbath will probably look a little different. You're going to have to try some things out. You might have some logistical questions. Listen, if any of you came to me with logistical questions about how to keep the Sabbath, I would be thrilled. I would love it. I would love to know that you're actually trying to do it. I'll give you some suggestions. Just some of the most very basic ways that you might start. First, you need to set aside a day. You need to set aside a real 24-hour period in your week that's going to be Sabbath. And it should be a regular time. Right? It's not a floating date based off of how busy you are, but it's a regular time. Six days you work, one day you rest. Six days you work, one day you rest. And if you're going to do this, you'll have to think practically about it. If you're going to take a day where you're not doing any work at all, you're going to have to plan and prepare. There will have to probably be another day to do the dishes and do the grocery shopping and do the laundry. You'll have to spend some hours beforehand getting ready for Sabbath. Maybe a late night laundry folding party, you know, before the Sabbath begins. But pick the day. Prepare for the day. I think the best time for most people in this room would probably be like Saturday night at sundown 
until Sunday night at sundown. Um, maybe you might prefer to do all day Sunday, but I think that makes the most sense. That's when it has been throughout history of the Christian church, and that is the day Sunday that is already designed around the idea of worship, rest, and delight. Now, for me, since I work on Sunday, and usually on Saturday night as well, that's not a good day for me. So our family, uh, I've been practicing with my children. We, we're doing Friday night till the following Saturday night. Some of you are going to have to make similar kinds of adjustments. I don't know. You might be a doctor, right? And if you're on call, you're going to have to adjust for that. Some of you may need to talk to your bosses and say, hey, could I get the same day off every week? Could I get a regular schedule? Some of you are going to have to work through deeper stuff. Some of you are going to find, honestly, that you just can't stop. That there's some stuff there. Maybe it's you're a workaholic. Some of you are going to find the idea of stopping really scary. That when you're not doing something, you feel vulnerable. That you feel weak. If you're the kind of person who is regularly working 50, 60 hours a week, you might find that there's some deeper sin issues there you didn't know about. That's how it was for me. I'm going to be honest. That's, I, I felt unable to stop for many years. But that's what you need to do. You need to set aside the day, prepare for the day, and then once you do, focus on these four essentials. Stop, rest, delight, and worship. Stop. Sounds simple enough, right? Don't do work. Even if you didn't finish everything, even if there's some project that you thought you would get done and it just needs, you know, a few more hours or there's this one little email, just stop. Stop. It's going to be okay. Turn off your phone. Don't look at social media. Change your voicemail. Let people know that you have taken the day off. And then rest. Rest. Really rest. Do something. Take a nap. Read a book. Do something that brings you refreshment. And then the third one is delight. God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. On the seventh day, God sat back, and he looked at his creation, and he said, this is great. <laughs> this is good. I'm going to rest. I'm going to delight in it. You should do the same. Delight in the good things that God's given you. Go for a walk outside. Go hiking in the mountains. Go to the beach with your friends or your family. I mentioned in traditional cultures, they have a big meal to celebrate the beginning of the Sabbath. Maybe go out with some of your church friends to dinner and be thankful for the delicious flavors of the foods that God has allowed us to have. Enjoy the company of our fellowship, these covenant relationships that you have. Delight in them. Enjoy them. Be aware that they're a blessing. And then fourth... Worship. The truth is, if you're doing the other three, you're going to do the fourth one. Because you're going to be doing all of this stuff with God at the center. 
Now, when I say worship, of course I mean here. I mean here in the church. You should come. If it's a Sunday, you should come be with, with the people of God. But I also mean you should be taking time on your own to be in the presence of God. A practice I hope you're already dabbling in. But you should take some moments of quiet to refuel your tank. Read Scripture. Drink deeply of God's love for you. Soak in the Gospel. Repent of your sin and experience God's grace in your life. Get filled up. Get ready. Prepare yourself for the week that's coming. So my desire for our church is very practical. I think you've probably noticed. There's a theme to my sermon since I've come back. Very practical things. My desire is that next week, when we gather for worship, you would be in a different place. My desire is that next week, you would be actively seeking to find your identity in God's love for you instead of in what you do. That is this beautiful reality that is available for you today. It's available for all of us this morning, however you are coming here. Whether you have come here in joy or whether you have come here in sorrow. Whether you know God and have been walking with Him for years or whether you don't know God yet, the living God is calling you out of your striving and into His rest. The glorious truth of the gospel is that He has taken away the penalty for our sin. On the cross, Jesus, He bore the weight of all of our disobedience. He took away everything that separates us from Him, not just our Sabbath breaking, but the gospel tells us that Jesus, who was perfectly connected with God, suffered in our place, the place of us who are disconnected and ignoring God. That Jesus, the one who is defined as the image of the invisible God, who said, I and the Father are one, on the cross stood in the place of those of us who, instead of defining ourselves by our connection to God, we define ourselves by our jobs. Jesus has borne the wrath for our sin. He has given us His righteous record in, in, our, in, his, in our place. And that means if you and I come to God in the name of Jesus, there's nothing to fear. You can come before Him and you can stop. It's going to be okay. God is waiting to receive us. He has given us a righteous name. He wants you to come. He's calling you, you specifically, to come and spend time in His presence. Your Heavenly Father wants you not just to know about His love, but to know His love firsthand today. And He has prepared this wonderful gift for you in the Sabbath to show you that so that you can experience that love. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the surprising 
things that you have told us. Thank you that one of your commandments is that we would stop and that we would rest and that we would delight and that we would worship. Lord, we confess that we have failed to do this. We confess that even the best Christians in this room have often never been taught how to rest. I confess that as my own sin, as a pastor. I confess that our church, we've not talked about this that often. We've not done this well, and I pray you'd change us. I pray you would empower us, that you would restore us to health as we learn to stop striving, to stop doing, and to start being. Father, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.